0: October 31st, usually what we think of as Halloween, Uh, also known as Reformation Day. That's the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses onto the chapel door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And it was early in his career as a monk that Martin Luther was rummaging through stacks in his library and he happened upon a volume of sermons by. A man from Bohemia, which is Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic today, um, by John Huss. His name was Jan Hus, and uh, his dialect there. And Luther writes, "I was overwhelmed with astonishment. I could not understand for what cause they had burnt so great a man who explained the scriptures with so much gravity and skill." I want to open this morning's message with just a little bit about the life of John Huss and connect it to our text here in Hebrews 11, and then I'm going to connect it back to Luther in the end, and uh, it's important. Hus, or Huss, as we would say in U.S., would um, become a hero to Luther and many other reformers. Um, Huss was born to peasant parents in a town called Hussini, which in German means goose town. And in his 20s, he shortened his name to Goose, which means goose. And he and his friends, delighted in making puns on his name, it was a tradition um, that would be continued. To escape poverty, uh, John Huss trained for the priesthood. He thought that it would be a good idea to become a priest quickly so he could secure a good livelihood and, uh, and you'd have clothes and you'd be held in esteem and honor by the men in the surrounding villages. He was ordained in the, uh, 1401. And John Huss, during those years, he underwent a change. He became the preacher at Prague's Bethlehem Chapel, which held 3,000 people. It was the most popular church in one of the largest of Europe's cities at that time. And uh, he preached his sermons in Czech, not Latin, which was a little bit unusual for Catholicism. But during those years, he spent some time uh, in the Bible. And he says this, when the Lord gave me knowledge of scriptures, I discharged that kind of stupidity from my foolish mind. He began to read things from John Wycliffe in England that had stirred his interest in the Bible, and these writings were, were causing a stir in Bohemia where he lived itself. And Huss began to increasingly trust more and more of the Scriptures instead of the Church, the Catholic Church's councils and their decrees and their traditional doctrines. And he, and he says he was desiring to hold, believe, and assert whatever is contained in the Scriptures as long as I have breath in me. Well, of course, that came to a conflict with the Catholic Church. And he was uh, put under um, uh, 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 probations, he was forbidden to preach, he was excommunicated, but he continued to preach and minister at Bethlehem Chapel. Uh, He went beyond that and he started tearing down some of the false doctrines of Catholicism with the indulgences, uh, which were basically payments that you could make to the Catholic Church that would secure that uh, an individual who had passed on before you in heaven would be out of purgatory quicker. He lost support of his king. He was excommunicated, as I said. There were many councils where he was examined. And finally, he was urged by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund to come and give an account of his doctrine. He was promised safe conduct. He was betrayed in that. He was not given a forum to explain his ideas, let alone a a fair hearing. And he finally said this. I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and justice. He was taken to a cell. He was pleaded with to recant. He did not. He was taken to the cathedral in 1415. The bishop, he stood before the bishop of Rome, and the bishop in Rome had uh, his had uh, Hus's priestly garment stripped off one by one, given one last chance to recant, And he did not, and he was burned at the stake. Where he says this, Lord Jesus, it is for Thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray Thee to have mercy on my enemies. And he said this, You will cook this hoose. You will cook this goose. But there will be, Come a swan after me. He was heard reciting the psalms as the flames engulfed him. His executioners scooped up his ashes. They tossed them into a lake so that nothing would remain of this heretic. But some of the Czechs collected the bits of soil from the ground where he had died and took them back to Bohemia as a memorial. A man who died for his faith. I'm going to tell you that story because in the end it connects to Martin Luther. I showed you a little bit how it connects to Martin Luther. But uh, there's a great irony in that story. Hebrews chapter 11. We have been given example after example after example of people who persevered in their faith through faith. The phrase by faith has appeared over and over and over again. We're told that what faith is and described in verse 1 and 3. We're told what it produces in verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. We're told in verse um, 6 that would, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We're given examples of people who died for their faith. We're given an example of somebody who did not die because of his faith. We're given examples of people who were warned of God, such as Noah, and verse 7 of something he hadn't even seen. And he obeys God, and God rescues his family. And we saw last week Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph. And in verse 23, we're given another stalwart, Of the Hebrew faith, of the Old Testament, Moses. And our text says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians is saying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with him that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. This morning... I want to kind of play devil's advocate this morning and tell you what to do if you want a life controlled by fear and insecurity. This man, Moses, had many flaws, didn't he? In fact, he was not allowed to go into the Promised Land, so he never saw the whole purpose for which he was to lead the Israelites out of of, uh, Egypt. But it is very clear that his life was a life that was marked with faith. The series here has been entitled, Faith is Greater Than Fear. Faith is Greater Than Fear. And we've made the point that everybody has faith in something. But a Christian's faith is different because they have faith in a person who is unshake—excuse me, unshakable. And this morning, as we look at this passage and we kind of look at what it implies not to do, I think we could say this, that if, and I don't know that there's anybody in here that would say they want this, but there are many people in this world who have this uh, particular mark true about them. They have a life that is controlled by fear and insecurity. Isn't that what the news media capitalizes on? If you want your life controlled by fear and insecurity, then here's what you do. You build your life, you build your values around things that can be taken away. So, if you want to sign up for building your life around fear and insecurity, then continue building your life, building your values around anything that can be taken away. And what kind of things can be taken away? Everything but Jesus. Every, yes, your family. Yes, your spouse. Yes, your money. Yes, your job. Yes, your transportation. Yes, your social relationships. Yes, your identity and your careers. All those things can be taken away. And if you build your value around those things that can be taken away, then you are building a life on fear and insecurity. Look at it verse 23 by faith moses when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment notice at the beginning by faith his parents right by faith moses when he was born was hid by his parents so his parents exercised faith result Or why did they do that? Because they were not afraid of the king's commandment. If you want your life controlled by fear and insecurity, then build your values around things that that can be taken away. In other words, one of the things that you can build your life on is confidence in your government. Are you seeing that that's not a very good thing to build your life on? Yeah. Becoming very clear, isn't it? But we never should have in the first place, should we have? And so build your life... On fear of the government, then, if you desire to be insecure. Build your life on a fear of the government. Do you notice what it says here about Moses' his parents? He says they were not afraid of the king's commandments. They were not afraid of the king's laws. Now, that does not mean we should not have concern for our country. It does not mean we should just be okay with bad things that are happening. But it does mean that we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid. And these past couple years have almost been embarrassing to watch believers who are afraid of what can happen. Again, there's a difference between being concerned and realizing the implications of that. But the Bible tells us we're not to be afraid. If you want to build your life on fear and insecurity, then you build your life on fear of what the government can and cannot take away. Right? So build your life on fear of the government if that's what you want. But that's not to be the mark of the life of faith. A life of faith. Because the government is not the end all. The government is not supreme. Jesus is supreme. And by faith, Moses' parents... We're not afraid of Pharaoh's commandment. Pharaoh's more powerful than our government is even today. We have some semblance of representation still a little bit there, right? Not in Egypt. Not in Egypt. You did what Pharaoh said. And Pharaoh said, well, these Hebrews are accumulating and accumulating. They're going to be more powerful than the the people, my own indigenous people. And so what I need to do is I need to put them into slavery. And they're still increasing. What am I going to do next? I'm going to have all their sons that are born thrown into the Nile River and drowned. And Moses' parents were not afraid of that. And they hid Moses. You might say, well, any self-respecting parent would do that, right? And notice verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Why? Because they saw he was a proper child. They saw he was a proper child. Um, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 20, when Stephen, the church's first martyr, was reciting this history of Moses, he says this about Moses and his parents. He says in the time in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. There was something that his parents recognized about their son Moses. And it wasn't that he was a cute, just a cute baby. I think in Exodus, it says that they saw that he was a goodly child or something to that effect. It wasn't that he was a cute baby. Apparently, God had given them some indication, some revelation, that this little baby would be the one who would deliver Israel. And they took God's word by faith, and they said, no, we are not going to fall prey to the king's commandment. We are not going to fall in line. And they did not build their life on fear of the government, and neither can we. What else could you build your value around things that we can take away and be susceptible to be controlled by fear and insecurity? Well, you can build your life on status, can't you? Isn't that what every commercial um, uh, from, from drinking a can of Coke to driving a Lexus tries to portray to you that you can have this status? People will look at you different with a certain respect, a certain esteem if you use this product. But Folks, look in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused the status. He could have had it. What did he choose instead? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, the Israelites, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the... A reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had recom- respect of the recompense of their work. Here's a man who could have built his life on status as Pharaoh's grandson. and perhaps the next down the line, to be the Pharaoh. But he did not build his life on status. And how sad it would be for a believer purchased by Christ, given the riches of Christ, to then leave that and build their life on the status of this world, which can be taken away. How sad. Here's something else you can build your life on that can be taken away that people do build their lives on sex and money sex and money look at the verse 25 he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of god than to enjoy the pleasures of what sin for a season the pleasures of sin for a season Uh, And verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Can we be assured that somebody in his position would have access to whatever he wanted in Egypt? And you fill in the blank. Access to whatever he wanted. Harems, riches, you name it. And he could have built his life on that. But guess what happens when that is taken away? You have nothing you have nothing and anything that we put in place of god is idolatry he could have built his life on human wisdom human wisdom Stephen, again in Acts chapter 7, talks about how, how uh, uh, Moses was trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He had opportunities uh, to, to uh, receive the, the training and the education of that day that would made it, make him successful in that particular empire. But you know what he did? I think that God equipped him in that, in that training to be able to lead those people. But you know what he does? Verse twenty-seven says, "He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured his seeing whom it is visible. And through faith he kept the passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the red sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned." Did those two things? The sprinkling of blood on the doors, and the passing through the dry uh, through the red sea on dry land. Um, Were any of those things explained by human wisdom? No, no. God told the Israelites, and he told Egypt too, but Egypt didn't obey. He told them that there is coming a great death plague, and the uh, death angel will pass over uh, each home, and he will take the life of the firstborn in each home. And the way to be uh, reprieved from that was to take the blood of a spotless lamb. So you had to kill a lamb. And then you had to paint that blood on the doorpost and above the door and on this other doorpost. And your home would be covered from the death angel because of some lamb's blood on your door. Doesn't that seem a little bit beyond human wisdom? And then after that happened, and it did, and God delivered them, all those who exercised faith in what God said, though they didn't understand it all, God uh, preserved. Verse 29 says, they got to where the Red Sea was, and they heard that the Egyptians had now pursued them, and they were up against the Red Sea that a million plus people could not uh, cross, They could not have time to get boats ready. And even if they did, where would they get the wood in the desert? Uh, they, they, They were at an impasse there. They could go around it. That would take a long time and the Egyptians would catch up. So what did they do? God says, Moses, take that staff in your hand and raise it in the air. And Moses does. And God brings a wind that separates the water and they pass through a sea on the seabed and get to the other side and the Egyptians do follow them as well and God takes away that restraining hand and that wall of water falls in on them. Does that sound like human wisdom? No, no. And folks, our common sense, our, our intellect only goes so far. And if you put your trust in your human wisdom, that rug's going to be pulled out of you too. So if you want to build your life on human wisdom, sex and money, status, fear of the government, just these things are mentioned in this passage, then your life will be controlled by fear. And it'll be controlled by insecurity because any of those things can be taken away. These instructions that were given were strange, the demands were costly, and the rituals were unprecedented, but they did as they were told. In simple faith, they relied on the Word of God. Exodus says, the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. But what is a life that perseveres and faith. like Obviously, it's the opposite of that. Isn't it? So the life that God calls His people to live is a life that is not based on things that can be taken away, but is based on something that can be never taken away. And let me ask you, what in your life cannot be taken away? Do you have it? <laughs> Do you have it? as God implanted Himself in your life through the blood of Jesus by His Spirit? Do you have that? And if you do, that cannot be taken away. That's why God is described as a rock, as a shield, as something that's dependable. Now look in the passage again. Shortcuts do not deliver us. Shortcuts do not deliver us. Look at Moses' life. Verse 24. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? By faith. He chose rather to suffer affliction, persecutions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Because of faith. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt because he had great recompense on the reward. Why? Faith. He left Egypt with the Israelites, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know what faith is? Faith is a vision that you didn't have without Christ that sees Christ. God has no pleasure in all the things that we said could be taken away. Some of those things are God's good gifts, right? But let's not confuse the giver with the gifts. He wants us to love Him because He's the giver. Not just love the gifts He gives. Its shortcuts do not deliver us from God's judgment, and they do not deliver us to true riches. Everything Moses had an opportunity to make a choice uh, for He could have made the easy, simple choice here and gone to uh, the pleasure of sin for a season. The greater riches in Egypt. The son of Pharaoh stay in Egypt. But he did not. He did not. And God requires simple faith in His Word. Whenever we try to circumvent simple faith in His Word that will never deliver us from judgment and it will never deliver us riches. Folks, as God's people, we cannot mess around. We can't mess around. We can't be fickle. We can't be half-cocked. We can't be shallow. We can't be spiritually lazy. We cannot be selfish. We cannot be spiritually weak people. And yes, I know we need to be weak, so the power of Christ reigns in us, but that's strength. We can't stay infants, we can't stay sheep needing to be petted all the time. We need to be bold, we need to be courageous, we need to be strong in the power of His might. We need to be a people, disciples who are redeeming the time. people who have eyes alert, people who are not sleeping in the job, people who are good stewards of the riches of Christ in us. We are to blaze ahead with Christ in us through His Spirit living in us. We are people who are marked out from darkness and the path of destruction to be shining lights, Philippians says, in a twisted, perverse world. We are to be the people who are the true image bearers of our Father. And real faith is not choked out with pleasures of this world. Or this world's difficulties. Notice there are both in this passage here. It's like the writer of Hebrews is hitting Jesus' parable here. Where there were some that sprang up but they were choked out. And there are others that um, uh, the sun came and they they were burned up because they didn't have deep roots. Picturing the pleasures of the world. Just choking out faith uh, because it directs the attention to... Uh, from our spiritual eyes, the things that are, that are just temporal. And the afflictions that, that, that can just make people quit. It's too hard. And real faith is not choked out. Real faith counts the cost. It stands with the word of God and it identifies with Christ. So all those things that I listed previously, if you want to be governed by fear and insecurity, then build your life around values that have like be taken away. I doubt there would be somebody who would say, yeah, that's, that's what I want. Okay? So if you want to be free from that and no longer a slave to fear and things that don't last, that themselves are under the sovereign hand of God, they have no power in them themselves, then here's what you do. You by faith build your life on the king's command. Remember in verse 23, Moses' parents, Jochebed and Amron, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Why were they not afraid of the king's commandment? Because they could look right into the angry face of Pharaoh and they could see right through him. And see the sovereign God of the universe towering over little Pharaoh. That's why they were not afraid of the king's commandment, who's this tall. But they feared the God of heaven. And folks, whatever comes down the pike, that's the perspective God's people need to have. Not fearing the little puppets in office but fearing the God of the universe, who the writer Isaiah says this about him. He says, the God of the universe takes a bucket, and he dumps the water out, and then the little drips that are coming out at the end of the bucket, one of those drops is like the accumulation of all the nations in the world. So who is like our God? So build your life on the king of the universe's command. We have to understand who the true king is. Yes, God has ordained authorities and powers, and we are to respect and honor and obey uh, uh, them as much as they're in line with with what God says. Uh, Folks, can you look through it? And can you see the God of heaven behind your pharaohs? Build your life on what Christ values do you see what happens here in this Scripture? Do you know what faith does? By faith, it enables us to take choices and put them in, the front, in front of God's Word and say, okay, if I choose this, this is going to give me a little happiness for a little bit and then it's going to be misery. I'm going to have pleasure for a season but God never lets sin slide. And if I choose righteousness and holiness and glorifying God, it might be difficult to do, and there might be persecution that comes from it, and my flesh might be screaming against it, but there is reward in heaven for that. And God allows allows me to, to lay up treasure in heaven to invest in eternity. So therefore, faith makes our choices actually not easy, but simple, doesn't it? It puts a filter on it all. Faith clears up our choices with a value system that is eternal. How many of you have one of those um, thermometers with a laser on it? that you You can shine on the wall, you can tell the temperature of the wall. Anybody have one of those? (laughs) Oh, okay <laughs> uh, Well, anyway, they have these thermometers out there that are a laser and you can point them and it'll tell you what the temperature is, whatever the laser is touching. Anybody All right, so okay, few people few people have them. All right. Faith is like the temperature gauge here. And it can take the choices that are presented to us and shine the laser of God's word on it and say, Yup, that's hot. That's good. Take it. Or nope, that's cold. That's dead. Nope, not going to do anything for eternity. Do you understand how gracious it is for God to allow his people to earn rewards in heaven? You say earn? That's I don't know about earning by grace. You know this stuff. Yep, God makes unworthy sinners righteous, and it's by grace that He then allows them to earn rewards. And do you know what enabled Moses to persevere? Verse twenty-six says he valued. he, He 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 took the he took the balances here, and he says the reproach of Christ. That is far more dense and heavy and holds more weight than this light, fluffy treasures of Egypt. I'm going to identify with the reproach of Christ. Now, what makes a human being say that? Eyes that have been open to truth, right? But also, eyes that have been open to the reward that comes from that. Isn't it God's mercy and grace that He doesn't just say, be good, but He says because of me, because of what I've done, now walk in this, and I'm going to reward you for it too. That's amazing. That's amazing. So build your life on what Christ values. Faith clears up your choices with a value system. Eternal versus not going to last. So what does Christ value? Well, obviously, love God and love people, right? You, 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 you can't miss that. Love God and love people. Invest in His glory. Are you building your life on these things that Christ values? Making disciples, not compromising Bible truth. Loving His church, loving the lost. Being in the world, using the world, but not being of it. Giving generously and sacrificially. Fighting sin by faith in God's promises. Seeking His kingdom first. Trusting in His provision. Treasuring grace and repentance and forgiveness. Not holding on to bitterness. Building up one another. You name it. Build your life on the King's commands. Because he's provided the grace to obey. Build your life, in other words, with a focus on the fame of Christ and his kingdom. Do you know that you and I do what we do because we want what we want? So what do you want? Moses wanted Christ. Now, I don't know that he had all the understandings of everything that Messiah was going to do. But he did know that there would be a Redeemer who would come from Eve eventually. He did know that that there would be a Messiah who would be a greater prophet than he was. He says that in Deuteronomy. He did know that this, this, this Messiah would be, uh, would be a king and he would come from Judah. He tells that in Deuteronomy as well. So he might not have had it all put together, but he did know that there was a Messiah, and that's what that word Christ, verse 26, means. Christ. He identified with the persecution of a Messiah as being of greater value than the riches in Egypt. So John Huss, he was put to death by that bishop. That bishop was buried, as was customary, under the steps of one of the um, uh, Catholic churches in Europe and Germany. Years later, I talked about Martin Luther and how he had begun to uncover some of John Huss' writings and was affected by them strongly. And John Huss had told the bishop that you can cook this goose, this hus, but there will arise a swan out of this When Martin Luther was entering the priesthood, actually the monastery, he had to be ordained by the Catholic Church. And one of the things that was a custom of the Catholic Church was that the one who was ordained would lay down on the stairs of the chapel with his arms out like a cross as he was being ordained. It was this particular chapel or that bishop who had ordered John Huss to be burned was buried under those steps. And on the day of John Huss's ordination, or excuse me, Martin Luther's ordination, the bishop's body would be lying underneath those stairs. John Huss would be ordained to be a Catholic uh, minister. Of course, he would break away from that as he understood more of the scriptures. And one historian is joked that perhaps that bishop, after John Huss, said. You can cook this goose, but there will arise a swan. Historian jokingly said, Yell for my dead body. Because that day that Martin Luther was ordained in Catholicism to be a minister of Catholicism, God would do a work through Luther and there would arise a swan who would stand against the tradition of Rome and say, I'm standing on the Bible. And he would say literally, Here, I stand. And why could Luther do that? And Luther had many flaws, but why could he do that? Same thing. He could see the one who was invisible. He had respect unto the reward. He could choose comfort and security with Rome, or choose the reproach of Christ. And he says, this reproach of Christ I honor it, I esteem it, I value it as being exceedingly great value, eternal value. What would this be worth? I don't know what's in your left hand here. It might be some of the things that we said can't give you uh, security. It might be all the things that mobilize fear that we talked about. But you need to, by faith, say, Lord God, Your Word says this is true. I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to land there. That's what I want. And God can create in you when we're willing to take those steps, firm, strong believers who are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding to the Lord. What's in your left hand? Let go. Cling on to the invisible things that you can't see but are truths that you know are real and stand on that. Faith is greater than fear, not because faith is some amazing thing, but because of the object of our faith, Jesus, the rock of our salvation.